Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Church, I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Uh, glad y'all could make it today. Oh, this is awkward. Sorry, I should have like adjusted that camera first. But um, we are... Uh, Finishing our series today, Changes, Changes, um, and I've been realizing how many actual songs are uh, titled Changes, um, so hopefully we don't have any copyright infringement, but we're not really that popular to be interested, so, um, you know, the all of this, uh, this whole month, we've been talking about the different changes in our world, and really about um, not trying to grasp too tightly to the things that constantly change. And we've talked about changes in, um, last week we talked about changes in, uh, in our culture, in our country, in life, um, in time. Uh, we also talked about changes within relationships and how people change, and those relationships are constantly changing. Um, we've talked about the times where we need to have absolutes in our lives, things that never change. And we've also talked about how um, in our faith, things just change as we grow. But today, we're gonna. Uh, our title is "I'm Not the Same." I'm not the same. And we're gonna be talking about the changes that we experience personally. And with what we're talking about today, I'm gonna be sharing some uh, some personal experiences to relate uh, uh, as to relate in our in our message today and uh, I'm not gonna lie these some of these things happened uh, about a decade ago and um, as we get into it I'll share how they've been kind of resurfacing and I realized how much more triggering even just talking about it is than I realized uh, when I thought it was just like that's done um, so starting off, we're going to talk about how we're shaped from experience. We're shaped from experience. And I want us to realize something. All experiences shape you, but every reaction defines you. The idea of shaping is almost like a broad sense. It's like imagine getting clay and molding it in your hands. It's being shaped. That's what the experiences we have do to us. They shape us into almost a, a figure. But the way that react, we, we react is actually what defines us. That's what really causes that image to form uh, whatever it's supposed to be. And the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives shape us from the inside out. Experiences from the way that we see fashion to the way that we feel confident or insecure, experiences cause us to view those things and to feel those things. Experiences are almost like radiation. They are the things that influence, influence us in such powerful ways to the point of even affecting our DNA as people, our character. Yet when it is happening, it seems almost unnoticeable because of how quickly it can pass by. Experiences, every, just like we talked about the very first um, Part one of this changes series, we talked about how our childhood major experiences affect us. The way that we, uh, just like I said right now, the way that we even see fashion is how our experiences affect us. And 
I wanted to share an experience that that happened to me when I first gave my life to Christ. Um, a lot of y'all know my testimony about how I used to just be really bad, right? <laughs> I used to be, um, I, I was really into drugs, into violence, into crime, and church was not a part of my life, but Jesus radically changed my life. And I gave my life to Christ in uh, late 2009. And in January 27, 2010 is when I first started going to a church. I got water baptized, and I marked that as my spiritual birthday because it was the day I decided that I wasn't going to hold anything back from God. Um, and six months uh, from that point, um, I started saving all the money. I was working at the time, and I saved all of my money. I would keep it just like an old-fashioned drug dealer. I would roll it all up in a rubber band and stash it in this candle that uh, it had like a base and a candle on top, and I would stash it in there. And I saved up a little over $3,000 um, in that six months' time, just saving everything I had. I wouldn't spend any money except on food. And in that time, I, I saved up all of the money to go to a ministry internship called 220i. And this the 220i experience was an internship that had been around for several years, and it projected itself to to really prepare you for ministry, um, to even prepare you for uh, being a, like, not just ministry, but being a strong, empowered leader. And the main, the, what it, that 220 was derived from this verse. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. This verse, what was most focused on this verse, almost like the quote was, it is no longer I. As a whole thing, it's no longer I. Even the fact that when they put 2.20 I in as a lower, lowercase I, it was on purpose because um, their philosophy at the time was to... Uh, cause you to see yourself as less than. That it's more about Christ and less about you. Um, God, Jesus grows more and more while I become less and less. Even though it it was with right, almost seemingly right intentions, it grew into um, such a toxic experience for the majority of people that went. In fact. Recently, it's been uh, there's been all these news articles coming out about this internship and this ministry of 220, um, talking about extreme mental abuse, physical abuse, um, so much derogatory examples that people have been coming out with. Uh, to where first it was NBC News did an article, then Daily Mail, then Christian Daily, then Fox News. And there's, I even found out there's, there's literally a, a support group of, uh, or a survivors group of people that have been through in this program, and the the senior pastor of this church now made a public apology. I don't know really what came first, the apology or um, the coming out, but um, what I'm getting at is that this was such a raw experience for um, for hundreds of people. To, to the point where this church, a huge church, uh, about 8,000 people, they have a global network. It's not just a small little church. It, 
this is international. There's people from different countries that would go to this internship across the nation that would go. And uh, to the point where it was, it became, there's so many stories, negative stories that were coming out from this to the point where the pastor felt led and needed to make a public apology. And, and even with that apology, uh, as I looked through it, I was kind of shocked. And I saw all these people um, commenting on it. Some people uh, were saying things like, no apology needed. Uh, I had a great time. I'm a better person for it. And then you'd see other people comment saying, um, I, uh, this apology is not enough. I've had years of therapy and I'm still not okay. Uh, and to see such differences in reactions, it was, um, it was almost expected for me. And I want to share some of the things that people would experience there. Um, when you first started out in this internship, you drive to this place, um, and the the first encounter you have is in the middle of the night. They blindfolded you, and uh, and took you out into a big open field, and in this this space of like not knowing what's going on, being blindfolded, and other people leading you, and and purposely leading you through. Um, like rough terrain, hoping that you trip or fall, which people did, and and then lining you up um, in front of this big lit up cross, and you took off your bandana, and you were told at, at any point during this time that you want to give up, then you have to take this bandana and lay it at the cross and tell Jesus that you're not willing to suffer for him. So that was the intro, right? You then started a three-day boot camp that um, was extremely physically laborious to the point to where one year they had a, a marine drill instructor oversee how they would do the boot camps, and he, he wanted to get out of it because he said it was too much for the students. said that they were putting them through too much, uh, too much st strain and physical, uh, uh, physical stress, Without, without enough nourishment, and he didn't even want to be connected to it. And I saw people, just in my year, I saw people pass out in, in the middle of the boot camp. I remember on the final, uh, uh, I don't know exactly how many miles, but it was several miles that you'd have to walk at the end of the, at the, end of the boot camp as the last day carrying a log, or, um, and the log was not supposed to touch ground. And I remember I carried it the whole way with other, it, it took about uh, three people at least to carry the log. And I remember someone uh, just in my team just passing out, just falling out. And me and another person had to carry them the rest of the way. There wasn't any stop. There wasn't any, uh, any, any people. In fact, if you did pass out, the leaders that were overseeing would make fun of them, be, belittle them, say that they were weak, and as you had to carry the extra slack. And every moment that someone struggled or suffered just in the boot camp, if they, uh, if, God forbid, if they were um, not able to perform the exercises or they were uh, they were uh, lagging behind the rest of the group, they were uh, immediately attacked pressed on, told to, they were people getting in their face and yelling at them, yelling at them, saying, just give up. You can't do it. You're not enough. Things like that. Just quit. Just quit. Trying to, to provoke people 
with a synthetic version of suffering. That was the intro. <laughs> uh, in my year, there's also somebody, uh, a young girl, that actually had a heat stroke and almost died. She was uh, several months in the hospital afterwards. And so as I'm talking about this, I wanna, um, the reason I'm giving these details is to express that, that the, this experience is not necessarily exaggerated. That I'm talking from the perspective of one year out of something that lasted over eight years. And I could go on and on with stories just from the boot camp. But it didn't, it didn't end just at the boot camp, but it followed through through the remainder of the year. When I saw the different people commenting on even just the apology, what I saw is that the people that fit into the mold that they wanted, which was, and I'm going to just be straightforward with you, uh, what it, from my perspective, it seemed like if you were um, a white conservative that dressed nice, you were in. Big plus if you were cool. You fit right in, and those are it was the predominantly those are the people saying I had a great experience. The people that did not have a great experience are the people that did not fit into that mold. Minorities, uh, people that dress different, people uh, that dress according to their culture. It, anyone that was really not churchy enough or uh, white conservative enough was in that, in that box of not fitting in. In fact, even if you did fit into that conservative uh, uh, white church culture, but you were not cool, and I'm making a label of cool, but you're not cool to them, then you were just treated badly, you were bullied. I remember one young man who's a skinny, lanky guy, and, and don't get me wrong, he could be annoying. People can still be annoying, right? But... At the end of the day, he was a fellow Christian, and I remember they would bully him so much to the point one day he, I remember him uh, crying as as no one was there to 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 lend a hand or or help him or just say hey it's okay, and he just uh, sat down at a desk and started crying and said you know people in the world treat me better than the people here. Again, this is a Christian ministry internship, and a person saying. People treat me in the world better than the way people treat me here. I remember one of my best friends, uh, who's still my who's still best friend to me today. He's black, and when we started the internship, I, re I specifically remember them waking us up in the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning, uh, to do this like provoking um, miniature boot camp to where we had to go randomly in the middle of the night and do exercises just to you know, shake whatever sense of uh, self-confidence you had left. And I remember as uh, he would talk different, he, he's, you know, me and him, one thing that we had in common, we were raised like on the street. And I remember the, uh, he would talk different and dress different than they did. And I remember specifically um, a leader provoking him and, and saying, why are you trying to act all thug? It, and uh, telling him what you need to dress different. Why are you trying to act like you're a thug dressing this way and talking this way? That was just how he talked that even till this day with four kids. That's how he talks. That's how he dresses But they were attacking specifically his culture It wasn't that he was acting thug. It was just thug to them because he was uh, he was dressed black 
He's, he, he was black and he just dressed according to his culture. And, and because he didn't fit into that white conservatism, he was attacked for his racial culture, the way that he talked, the way that he acted, the way that he dressed, even though he was, ever, he was still trying to submit to the authority that was there. And I, uh, I'm, I'm going into all of these details because there's so many people that I'm seeing um, that were a part of this group that are still dealing with these issues, and it's, it's been almost a decade. The, the girls had a lot of trauma because they had to fit into a certain weight requirement. They would get their BMIs measured. And if they didn't, uh, if they didn't weigh a certain weight, then they were publicly, uh, publicly uh, in a sense, humiliated as they were told to, um, that they had to get a restricted diet, that they had to uh, that they wouldn't be able to eat the same thing that anyone else eats and that they had to weigh in next week and if they didn't weigh less that they were going to get in trouble and you're talking about uh, i mean i as a youth pastor i i that's when i really learned how how many people girls and guys struggled with eating disorders bulimia anorexia imagine how many uh, young girls that were a part of that that were already struggling with that and still to this day have this this huge insecurity within themselves uh, uh, because of this self-image portrayal that you had to look a certain way. I mean, being publicly <laughs> publicly weighing in in front of others and being and being put on a restricted diet in front of dozens of other people. I mean, the, you're talking about something that was ongoing. Ongoing. And the whole idea was to create a synthetic version of suffering. And what happened was more and more toxic leaders were, were, were put in positions over people. And you're talking about uh, make them suffer. And then you have a, a toxic leader that has so much ego and pride and insecurity that they feel better about themselves as they bully somebody else. They're literally told to bully people when you unpack it. And the last part that I'll share about this is uh, one night, because some uh, in my uh, each dorm was uh, a normal size room. Um, I, I don't know the exact exact square footage, but small rooms with uh, two bunk beds, four four students to a room, and you're talking about. Um, more than 21 uh, students in, inside a, uh, a level of a, do uh, a floor of a dorm with only two, uh, two toilets and three showers. And one night, when, uh, the curfew, it was past curfew, you're not allowed to exit your dorm. And two, uh, two rooms were just joking around and threw a paper ball into the other room. Um, and the dorm dad, again, super toxic leadership, the dorm dad, uh, in order to teach them a lesson for throwing a paper ball, which wasn't necessarily against the rules, um, but just 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 to test everybody. The whole mentality is like, I need to test people's submissiveness. He woke everybody up from the floor, and him and two other dorm dads got all of the guys to sleep on the bathroom floors. 
to, you're talking about to where we didn't fit on the floors. There's one, one student that laid across the sink. Um, the rest of us were literally shoulder to shoulder and you had to hike your knees up because we wouldn't all fit. And as we laid in the, the disgusting bathroom floors all night, they then put a boombox speaker and played music way too loud for anybody to possibly go to sleep and played it for the rest of the night. As we woke up, as we had to get up, not wake up, get up at five in the morning to go to uh, middle school and high school clubs the following day, the following morning, to tell them about Jesus. The, the whole, this whole experience, what I'm saying is, it shaped me and it shaped so many others. And I, when I look back and when I even just read some of the, the articles I've told you guys about and read about the stuff that would happen, uh, part of me was like, that's not even scratching the surface. <laughs> There's way more stuff than this, this article is showing. Article talked about people uh, not only doing these workouts, but as other leaders drove by on golf carts and shooting them with paintball guns. You know, just like a constant belittling, a constant, uh, a constant devaluing of people. And you're talking about young people. You're talking about 18 years old. And their, their only thought process was, I want to I put God first after I graduate high school. Most of these people that I'm talking about that have experienced this, they're not Christians at all anymore. Some of them are, would still claim their faith, but most of them have, uh, have thrown it out because of the, the, these experiences. There's still some that are, are ministers like myself, but you're talking about a vast majority of people where this experience shaped them in such a negative way that they, aban they abandoned something that was once foundational to them. Something that was so important to them that they were willing to endure that entire boot camp in eight months of devaluing, a uh, 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 bullying, of all this junk. They were willing to endure it for those eight months. But see, that's what happens with experiences is that when we're going through it, it's hard to understand what you're going through. It's hard to really capture what you're experiencing. That's why I compare it to radiation. The, you know why they have those... Those radiation, uh, um, what are they called? The ometers? <laughs> I don't know the right word, but it, it has to click and tell you if there's radiation nearby if, if you're working around radiation. And the reason it ha you have to have a device to tell you that there's radiation is because you wouldn't realize it if you were standing right in the middle of it. That's what experiences are like. If you are exposed to heavy amounts of radiation, it will slowly kill you to where even your uh, people went that were in Chernobyl, biggest radiation catastrophe in, in the world, nu uh, nuclear, uh, not even a nuclear meltdown, the, the core exploded and there's so much radiation that not even equipment, uh, mechanical equipment could operate to be able to send in robots to pick up the pieces that they had to send in people knowing that they were going to die. And that's what experiences are like. At the time, those people could go right into the radiation and do what they had to do and come out only to die from either cancer or if they were really exposed to something intense, their skin would start to melt and their DNA would start to, uh, to literally decompose because the radiation was so intense. That's what this was like for a lot of people in their faith. 
their faith DNA completely decomposed over time because even though they walked right through it, it didn't start affecting them until later. A lot of the experiences that we have had, traumatic workplace, childhood traumas, abusive relationships, if you notice all these things while we're going through it, we're like, well, I guess this is a fine. But then years later, you're like, why did I allow that to happen to me? You realize all of these other things that all these all the issues of your life that came out from those experiences and it has been shaping you as you've just pressed it down. Pressed it down. It, this verse the it really affected me so much because of the way it was projected onto me. That's what experiences are is your surroundings projecting onto you. And it really, it really did shape me to where when I went into that internship and when I came out, when I look back, I see myself as a worse person when I came out. I had so much built-up aggression. I had way more OCD. <laughs> and I had an identity issue, such a deep insecurity in ministry of not feeling like I was enough to do anything good for God to the point when I, whenever I did struggle with sin, instead of just dealing it with it like a normal person, I wanted to commit suicide because of the level of depth that was that that it was projected from this toxic, toxic environment. And I want us to, to now talk about how we're defined. We're defined by mirrors. When we look at the mirror, we we're able to see very clearly what we look like. And I want us to have a moment of self-reflection because self-reflection unpacks the passions and drive to your soul. When I saw certain comments on that, that apology post, I saw people's passion and drive, which was motivated by hatred. When they looked back in self-reflection of what they, what happened to them, they turn into somebody that would not let anybody talk down to them again. To where even if you apologize, I'm not going to accept it. Because I don't have to take anything from you. See, that self-reflection caused a passion to rise up. Even if it was hatred. And when I think about my initial reactions, it's like I said, I didn't realize it at first. But it what, it what it initially did to me was it made me into a, a, not, a, not a minor bully, but a person that had a warped view of leadership to where I thought as a leader, people were supposed to bow down to what I said. And the little bit of time that I tried to implement it, the more I realized how hurtful and damaging it was. I realized this doesn't work. This isn't even right. And I remember going through this confusion of the, after having this initial reaction to what happened. But then as I unpacked what happened and started thinking, why, why would I want to act that way? Why do I talk that way? Why do I see scripture this way? Why do I see others this way? And going back to the what I experienced, I started to realize that I had not processed or unpacked my experience yet. 
And so while at first you just have these reactions to where it's like a, a kid that is um, that has abuse at home reacts in school typically. Usually the kid that wants to throw the chair against the wall in school is somebody that's going through trauma at home. See, those are our initial reactions of how we react in the world when we experience something. You have a bad day at work, you go home, and you're ready to just lay it out on somebody that's waiting for you. It's just your initial reaction. But then when you begin to unpack why, that's where you start to develop passions and drive. See, what I experienced at that place created such a passion for us as a ministry to where Gravetop Church, our drive is to reach people that have been hurt by church. To reach people that don't fit in at church. To reach people that have never been able to really go to church, never been able to get connected to church. You see how those experiences once shaped me but when I look in the mirror, I'm able to define the way I want it to shape me. The way I see it. The way I want it to look. And even when I look at this verse, initially, it, it was something that haunted me. But now, as I look in the mirror, I can see before and after rather than just the single experience. And in the same way, I want us to look at before and after of that verse I shared. See, before Galatians 2.20 in, chapter 9, in verse 19 to verse 21, before and after, it says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Then it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The verse after, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. When I look at the before and after, the verse becomes completely different. Before, I thought, was, man, it's no longer I who live. If I'm not living for Christ, then I'm, I'm worthless. If I make one mistake, if I do anything for myself and not for God, then I'm not living the right way. But then when I look at the before and after, it just shows me, do your best and forget the rest. <laughs> it just shows me that, yes, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, but if I could be perfect, then there is no reason for Jesus to die. Completely different. Completely different. But see, I had to look in the mirror. I couldn't just look at the experience, the single verse. I had to look the before and after. Who was I before this experience? And who do I want to become after? Am I going to let the single person, the single event, shape me and leave me there? Or am I going to go back and even though I've been shaped that way, I'm going to define it by how I want to look. See, our, the way we define ourselves, these are the moments of adulthood where we realize who we are and what we've gone through. And we are able to analyze what was morally right or wrong in our experiences. 
It's like when you're a kid, you don't really know that uh, auntie's uh, auntie's friend was actually the the uh, affair that she was having. <laughs> you're just a kid. It's like, oh, that's that's auntie's friend. <laughs> you didn't realize that that was the the lifeguard that she wasn't supposed to be talking to, <laughs> the pool guy. No, that's just his friend. I didn't know that. I, uh, he, she just told me that we're playing hide and go seek. I'm not supposed to tell where he is. <laughs> it, we're just a kid. You don't realize how incredibly wrong something is while you're experiencing it. It's the same way when we go through experiences at, at, right when it's happening. But when we look back and analyze to see what is right and wrong as we look backwards, it's to see if we agree or believe what we've experienced. It's in these moments that we develop moral opinions about our surroundings, our experiences, our upbringings. This is for the first where we decide who we are and who we want to be. This is where we can reject, accept, hate, love, grow, or stay the same. I, I feel like when we look at back at things, all of us have gone through something. It all looks different for every person. And all of this stuff coming out like publicly, like I said at the beginning, it, it's somewhat triggering for me because there was a part of my life that I kind of wanted to just say dead and buried. I didn't want a zombie coming up and clinging to my ankle saying, but remember me? <laughs> and with every new article that I saw, every new comment, every new person, it was almost like more and more triggering. Mm -hmm. And it showed me that there is unresolved issues that I hadn't dealt with. Anytime you're triggered is because it's an unresolved issue that you haven't made peace with. And I started to, to look at so many different things about myself and understanding things. And one, one sense of peace that it gave me, it being so public, is for me to have an acceptance that what happened wasn't right. And that I don't have to just accept it as being right. You know, it's like a justice. And for me, there's, there's specific people... From that that came from that ministry and keep in mind that this this church that facilitated this men, this this internship they've made a lot of strives to change with their with their uh, the senior pastor that took over he took over the last semester that I was there and the internship lasted one more year and then it was disbanded and since that point from my personal opinion or perspective I could see him consistently trying to change that culture. Does it make what happened right? No. Does it justify anything? No. But I am acknowledging that there is change being uh, trying, attempted to be practiced. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And most of the people that were so toxic in that ministry are not even Christians anymore, let alone most of them don't even go to that church anymore. It speaks volumes about 
what happens when we allow just anybody to take a leadership in our lives or mentoring, give us mentoring advice in our lives, who we allow to guide us or lead us. It speaks volumes because a lot of times we're asked, where do you see yourself in five years? But why don't you, if you're thinking about someone giving you advice, mentorship or leadership, maybe start thinking, where are they going to be in five years? And what's given me peace with all of this publicity about it is there's some things that I hadn't voiced, which was there's certain people, one specifically, that every single time I had any interaction during the internship and after, even as a man, just like uh, as a pastor now, there's one person in particular that I remember reaching out to as uh, for just advice as we were starting the church. And I reached out to a bunch of different people that were older than me in order to get uh, mentoring advice and whatever they would uh, be willing to give. And there was one person in particular that I was hesitant to call, but I thought, well, you know, that was in the past and just grown now. It's different. And it's almost like picking up where I left off immediately feeling belittled immediately feeling less than the whole the whole conversation which was about 20 minutes i felt like the whole thing is just a whole time of this tone of like why are you even bothering me i'm so much more important than you why are you even troubling me and when i was getting off the phone and his advice to me was just quit and give up what you're doing it, you're not gonna. It, you're not gonna be able to grow anything doing what you're doing. You just need to give up and, and go volunteer at your local church. <laughs> like, well, thank you for voicing all of my fears and my doubts, my insecurities as an audible voice from another human being. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And that was when we first started the church. And just like for some of you. You've gone through experiences like that where there's certain people in your life to where even now, just the thought of talking to them gives you chills, makes you feel frozen. You immediately feel anxious, something in your gut, just the thought of talking to them. If you were to call them right after church, you feel anxious just thinking about it. And the justice that it did for me, seeing everything public, is realizing that that person's voice doesn't have power over me. And some of you need to realize that the experiences that you've had, that those people do not have to have power over you. They do not have to have that voice in your head. I remember, you know, for years, I would literally just be taking a shower and all of a sudden just be frozen, having those words flash through my head, just being stuck. And just having to tell myself, no, I don't need to listen to that. God's called me here, blah, blah, blah build myself back up. And for the first time, I was able to, unpacking this, realizing, looking in the mirror, I was able to decide how I wanted to be defined rather than how I wanted to be shaped. And I want you to have this moment to think about how you want to be shaped. When you unpack, what are you going to reject and accept? What are you going to hate? What are you going to love? Are you going to grow from this, from this thing that happened to you, or are you going to stay the same and continue pressing it down, trying to just forget about it? No matter how much dirt we throw over that experience, the zombies always come back. 
you know, I feel like this verse that I'm about to share is, it really speaks volumes in a prophetic way. Jesus says in Matthew 10:39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I feel like the more that I see Jesus in Scripture, untainted by the teachings of someone else, just as if I was reading Scripture for the first time, as I unpack history, as I unpack uh, the rhetoric of what Jesus is saying, the more and more down to earth he is to me. When I have others teach it to me, it's almost like it seems so heavenly minded that it's no earthly good to me. You ever feel like that about a sermon? So it's like over your head, just up in the clouds, like that didn't really make sense. I don't even know how my life is different now. And in this verse, what I see is Jesus saying, the more that you cling on to those experiences, whatever has happened to you, the more that you will lose your life. The more that you, you cling to the things that have shaped you, the more you will lose who you really are. When he says, the more you give up your life for me, the more you will find it. What I see is a releasing these experiences, even when we try to leave them dead and buried, we cling to them. And even when we don't want to, there's, we're still attached to them. And the more, what I see this verse saying is that the more that we look at, at Jesus, the more we look to Jesus, is the more we realize how our lives are not defined by what has happened to us. We truly find the most authentic version of ourselves when we find ourselves in Christ. I said it before, just think about it. Your creator, what that means is that he made you. Your personality wasn't just happenstance. You, the way that you look wasn't just uh, uh, just random of occurrence of DNA. God, It says that God knitted you together inside your mother's womb. That he, he definitely created you. And it involves every part of us. And when we, when we go back to our Creator, what I see is us going back to the original version of ourselves that was intended. Our experiences not only shape, shape us, but they paint us. Just like I said, everything that we go through in life, it starts shaping us and painting us to, to what we've gone through. I think the best uh, example I could use is I remember in high school, Family Guy was like really popular. I don't know if it is or not today, but at the time it was like the next South Park. It was like uh, all the all of the teenagers were like so into it. I don't know what it is now. It's like something probably stupid, but I remember the moment. You guys probably remember too, where people would start repeating the jokes that were in the show. And like just saying the jokes again, like like oh, like in family, and then they do like the impersonations of Stewie, and like pretend that they were like playing out a portion of the show. And I use that as an example because just just TV affected the way that they saw humor to the point where they were literally repeating <laughs> exactly what was on the show. Talking and, and, and joking in the way that what they have experienced. 
Now, when you look at everything else that we've gone through, from the way that we even dress, it's because of what we've experienced. The way that we talk. I have family members that live in Florida, and whenever I talk to them, I'm like, where'd you get a country accent from? <laughs> and it's just the surroundings, the experiences affect us in so many ways. But when we go back to Christ, we find our authentic version of ourselves. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It's like when the blood of Jesus washes over us, it's not just sin, but all of the things that we've experienced to where we actually find ourselves in Him again. And that leads me to our last point, which is defined, uh, projected by, our, by self. We talked about how we're shaped from our experiences, defined by mirrors, but now I want us to understand that we are projected into the world by our own choices, by ourselves. You always have a choice in how you live and how you re react to life. You always have a choice in how you live and how you react to life. Life will just hit you over the head sometimes. Life is a very brutal experience for many people. How we react to life. Let's just close up there. <laughs> How we react to those experiences is a choice that we have. Once we decide who we want to be, life still goes on and still changes. We also change. And that's why it's important to know yourself and to be moldable yet immovable. Moldable yet immovable. After that experience, I'm sh the main experience I'm sharing with this internship, it affected me so much. And I was told, you have to be this way. You have to be this way. You have to be this way. And if I allowed myself to not be moldable, even though I was moldable to allow myself to, to agree to that for a moment, as life goes on, I realized that I needed to change and I allowed myself to be moldable again to adapt and to understand how I want to treat people. Yet I was immovable in my faith. I gave my life to Christ before, luckily, thank God, I gave my life to Christ before just me and the Holy Spirit before ever going to that internship. Most people that were there, they were a, stu a lot of people were students from that, that, that church where they gave their lives to Christ are because of the same person that was tormenting them later. Their faith was completely destroyed. There's certain things in our life that are pillars of who we are. And then there's certain things that are walls. And then there's even certain things that are curtains. The pillars are the things that we talked about our very first part one series of this uh, of changes. Those pillars are our core beliefs and our morals, and those are things that should not change. The walls, though, is a lot of what I'm talking about today. The walls that we build up in our lives. These are defining character traits of yourself, like how you treat others and how you see yourself. These are walls that are more sturdy but these are things that are strong aspects of yourself that embody who you are. And while they're more sturdy, they can still be 
taken down from either the perfect storm or a, a realization of wanting to remodel and hard work. And when these walls are torn down, they need to be rebuilt. For some of us, something in life will be, bring a storm that just knocks all of those walls down. Everything that we thought we were just crashes down. How we see the world, how we see others, how we see ourselves, those walls are torn down. That storm knocked them just all over. There's other times where you have an, almost like a revelation moment, an epiphany moment, to where you realize that the walls that are surrounding you are not the walls that you want. They're, they're keeping out all the light. They're letting all the wrong things in. They remind you of all of the worst things in your life, and you know that they need to be torn down. And when we tear them down, we can build these walls back the way that we want them. I want you to understand that just simple, these simple aspects of the way you treat others, that is a huge character trait that most people don't ever think about. How do you treat others? And there's moments where we, we, we imagine ourselves to treat others a certain way, and then one day you just realize there's a huge hole in this wall that I only treat certain people this way. I don't treat everybody this way. How you see yourself, that, that, that's a huge aspect of life that people struggle with. How you see yourself. It, to imagine that we actually can decide how we see ourselves with hard work, with time, for me, just with my kids, there's, I remember there's a moment where it's like, once we had a third baby, that's when it got pretty crazy. I mean, just with two and then a bunch of teenagers in the house, it got pretty crazy. I remember a moment where I was getting constantly frustrated with my kids, especially when they wouldn't take a nap. And I remember there was a, a period where it was like several days to where I felt like my only, my only interaction with my daughters was, was being mad was being short-tempered or upset. I mean, they were crazy, okay? But I realized that, and I decided that's not who I want to be to my kids. And so I started, the simplest thing I started doing is when I put them down to sleep every night, I pray, God, help me to be a better father to them. And then I got more detailed. Help me to be a more intentional father to them, a caring father to them. A patient, <laughs> a patient father for them and a loving father to them. And just deciding that that's who I wanted to be and asking God to help me, I started to see myself change in realistic ways. See, I decided how I wanted to treat others. And I started praying, God, help me to treat people like this. There was a period where I even decided I'm not going to discipline my kids for, for a week. Because I feel like I've been just, just uh, impatient, disciplining them too much. I want to just take a step back. That was hard work. <laughs> okay? But what I'm, I'm using this as an example to, to understand that the way that we see ourselves, the way that we treat others, are things that are able to be built. Those walls are able to be built. And these curtains that I'm talking about, 
these are the things that can be in, are almost like interchangeable. Things that we use to let light in or to hide us or shade us ourselves from the heat. These are just the things that we go to. For me, I, I like have to exercise or I start getting all this built up anxiety. It's hard for me to sleep at night if I don't like release energy. Um, for some of you, those, those curtains, these curtains are, are always interchangeable. For me, there was a, a whole year where I was sketching and journaling, and it was like the curtains I needed to be able to shade myself from the heat. And there's periods that we go through where we need to use different curtains, and we can change those out. And what I'm sharing this to, for you to acknowledge that sometimes in the middle of all of the, the deconstruction and remodeling of ourselves that we're doing, you need to still have some shade. Like put yourself up a tent with these curtains at least as you're rebuilding yourself and give yourself some, some breath, some shade, or some light, whatever it is. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Everyone from that 220i experience reacted differently. Like I said, some abandoned their faith while others moved on with a changed perspective. But how we react to these experiences is what will define our futures. For, for me, it defined how I wanted us to have church. For others, it defined how they wanted to treat people. For others, it defined how or what they were willing or, or would be willing to allow others to treat them. How we react. I wanted to share this last uh, example, which I know that I've shared before, but I really love this example. Twin brothers... One brother was at the bar drinking and drinking and drinking shot after shot after shot. And finally, he was barely able to stand up, hung over at the bar, and the bartender said, Hey, man, how come you drink so much? He said, Because my father drank. <coughs> Eventually, the bartender said, Man, is there anyone who I can call? He said, You can call my brother. He calls him. His twin brother shows up completely sober. And the bartender said, hey man, are you, do you drink? He said, no, I don't drink at all. He said, why not? Because my father drank. How we react to our experiences define us. We have to move on past those experiences. They shape us, but we have to recognize that we can define who we want to be by those shapings. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. There's a lot that we discussed today, and for some of you, you might have even been triggered in your experiences and your past. And at this moment, I want us to I want us to settle on this idea that we're not the same. We're not the same after those experiences. Even if we want to be, at the end of the day, they shaped us into something different. And if we try to ignore it, it will turn into that zombie that reaches up. We have to recognize it and decide how we want to be defined. We're not the same. But the biggest part is this verse that says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. 
Notice that he's not telling any of us that he wants us to lose our lives, to lose ourselves. In fact, he's projecting to us that he wants us to find true life. He says, if you, if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And I, what, I just see this verse saying to us over and over and over again. is to instead of pressing it down and trying to just bury it, that we need to release some stuff. We need to acknowledge it and release it. And for some of you, in this moment, God is just ministering to your heart. Maybe there's even been something that's been like a, an experience that is a wedge between you and God. And I want you to just have a moment where you talk to God yourself. Acknowledge what happened. Just say, God, I, I want to release this to you. I may not know how, but I want to release it to you. And you can trust Jesus with that. I'm not saying that in this moment, as you say that, you're going to feel completely different. But what you're doing is you're saying, I'm ready to start reconstruction. And if you're here, and maybe everything about this message is just telling you that you need to reconnect with Jesus. Maybe at this moment you realize that you're just not walking with Him and you need to. Whether it's for the first time, whether this is a moment where you're coming back to Him. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. The Bible says in the book of Romans, and if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, surely you shall be saved. And it's almost like an oversimplification. The Bible is simply saying, if you acknowledge what Jesus did for you and everybody else by dying on the cross, acknowledge that he is truly the Son of God and talk to him and have a conversation with him, that surely you shall be saved in the sense of not only from eternity, but in this life. You can start this journey with him with that conversation. And so I want you to, if that's you, just have your own conversation with him. You don't even need me to lead you through it because you can talk to God yourself. And while we're doing that, I'm going to sign off online and we're going to lead into a moment of worship. But I want us to have the same atmosphere and attitude of of reverence thank you for those of you who have been online we love you have a good day i hope you enjoyed the message today if you did there's a couple things that you could do to connect first is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed ready when you are and second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.